everybody, and welcome to Gobbler Country's Talking Turkey. This is our first post-holiday show. Uh, Brian Manning, my usual co-host, is with me. Jay's on the road again, so, you know, that's traveling man. But, Brian, how you doing? How's the, you know, holiday was good, right? Yes, sir. Happy New Year, John. Just went from freezing cold to 65 degree weather so can't complain too much yeah pneumonia pneumonia weather for sure Mm -hmm. yeah today we went out to dinner and everybody else had the same idea at the steakhouse so we went to the italian place i guess and my wife is like looking at me like hey but you cooked italian for christmas so all that stuff aside we got some sports to talk about there's some interesting news going on especially with men's and women's basketball men's basketball has kind of hit kind of a tough patch right now women look like they were going to hit a tough patch and we'll talk about that but they did something pretty special the other night and then we're going to talk about football and the roster situation and there's still some trickling from what i'm hearing they're still making some offers and we'll talk about or they're still trying to get some of these transfer portal people interested in showing up to at least talk so i mean brian you might have some interesting information on that one but I'm going to defer to you for right now. I'm going to start off with men's basketball. What's going on there? Last time we had our podcast, the Hokies had only lost one game. Since that time, we've dropped two games, and both have been to ACC games on the road. One at Boston College, 70-65 to in overtime, and one to Wake Forest, 77-75. to Both a little bit of heartbreakers. The, I think the Boston College loss hurts more than the Wake loss. I think Wake's a pretty good team. Boston College loss, so you got to have that one. And, and But the, the big news in that game was Hunter Couture went down with a left arm injury. And at first, it looked like it was going to be serious. I think there were some concerns that he might may have broken his wrist or fractured his wrist or something at some point but the news came out pretty good that it was more of a game-to-game injury and he didn't play last week but we play Clemson next which is Wednesday night I believe back in Blacksburg and then we play again Saturday so hopefully Couture will be back for one of those two games and we're still waiting on the debut of Rodney Rice that that was he was a game time decision on Saturday I wouldn't think he's going to play at all this season to put it bluntly at this particular juncture, I just don't see it happening. That's just my uh, opinion. I think he'll play. He was dealing with an ankle injury, so it's nothing broke, anything, just an ankle. And I don't know why the extra time, but some of those ankle injuries can be tricky. But when you got a freshman that highly rated, I don't think they want to put him on ice for a year. So I do think he'll play. I don't know when. Hopefully this week because we could use him. You had more guys. You had Mike Young stuck with a eight-man rotation still without Couture. Lynn Kidd moved, moved into the lineup with Mutz and Basile while Padula and Maddox were the guards. John Camden got a lot more time this week. He played 15 minutes, scored six points. Poteet, I think, has given him some really good minutes off the bench. He had nine points and five rebounds last time out. And then Collins, another freshman, played 28 minutes. Only scored three points, but played some pretty good defense. But uh, the Hokies have struggled a little bit from three-point range lately, 28% against Wake Forest. You know, you, on a team that's built to knock those shots down, you need to need to hit a few more of those. But anyway, I think getting Couture and hopefully Rice back will, will help the team. I know we went through this little swoon at this time last year. Yeah. And we corrected ourselves in, in late January. Hopefully it's not late January this time we correct ourselves. So the schedule should should produce a couple of wins this week, I, I'm, I'm hoping. But this is the ACC, and as we all know, uh, on any given night, any one of these teams can knock off the top teams. It's really always been that way. The, the depth's pretty good in, in the league, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm Overall, still 11-3. You got in the top 25 one week, and you lost. I'm not too 
concerned about top 25. Just win your ACC games and let the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, Couture, the thing is that people don't notice is Couture's contribution is more than the fact that he's got a decent long-range shot and can really drain, you know, and, and when he's hot, can really drain critical threes. But he's also really good on defense, and a lot of people don't really notice that too well. He's really good at putting on quality pressure, and without him in that lineup, the defense really starts to struggle a little bit. So, you know, I, I getting him back is probably going to be critical for the rest of the season. If they don't get him back, they're going to have to really get some step-ups from some other kids. Yeah, I, I definitely – I I seem – the latest news we got was it was coming from the team itself that it wasn't serious, which may, leads me to believe he'll be back soon because the team would kind of stay quiet on that if it was something more serious. So yeah. it's not not just a little – some rumors going around it. So it sounds like he's in good shape. So that's a good thing. Sounds like well, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, it could have been. Now, the other basketball team, they started to hit a rough patch too, didn't they? The girls went out, and the last three games, it was some disappointing stuff going on. We all talked about before we left for the holidays, we talked about the Notre Dame loss, which was really disappointing, and then the win at high point, which kind of picked everybody back up again. But the tooth grinder was going to be, hey, what happens when you go down to Clemson and play Clemson? It was close game point-wise. 59-64, but there were some issues in that game that as you look at some of the stats, you, you started seeing some strange things popping up and bumbling around. And one of the things that you saw was the fact that maybe a couple of the teams, including especially Notre Dame, showed that how you defend against Liz Kitley is you double team Liz Kitley and you pound the snot out of everything on the inside and you press hard. And they have ball control problems at that point. And this this is a team that likes to control and put the ball on the court and pass and set up good opportunities and not rush. And by pressing hard and, and risking fouls and, and actually playing an entire bench, Notre Dame almost emptied their bench. And then in Clemson, Clemson emptied their bench. Clemson played all of their players. And they did exactly the same thing that Notre Dame did, which was they just started pounding on Kentley and pounding, you know, keeping her out, screening her away, pushing, shoving, hip, move, you know, hip shots, the whole bit. I mean, they it was pretty stifling. They, they were really hurting the, the Hokies on trying to get the ball in the basket. And then they went cold for a big chunk of the game. And we talked about it back and forth. If you're a team that depends on that, that three-point shot, not just three-point shot, but, you know, the 12, the 12-footers, the 8-footers, your team that depends on that stuff, and you're not a big inside team, and you get frozen out, and you you end up getting bad shot selections and bad shot setups, and you so the lid goes on, you're in trouble. And they recovered from it, and they almost came back in that game, but it it was worrisome. And here, here's the wrap-up of this. Kenny Brooks made some coaching questionable calls. He shortened his bench. He played his starting players almost all the way through the game for the last couple. He opened his bench up a little bit against North Carolina, and he started to get the girls to respond to that heavy pressure because Carolina started bringing the heavy pressure again. Because they're watching films. They're seeing what's going on. Carolina started with the heavy pressure. And this time, they started loosening up. They started moving the ball around on the outside. 
They started taking quality shots in the in the alleys. They started setting up so that they got Liz Kitley involved. Kitley did not score a whole lot of points in that game. She did get a double, and she did did get you know a fair number. But what it was was with Kitley was Kitley was draining them from the free throw line because she was getting fouled constantly. It was. The two big stars of the Carolina win were George Amore again, who came in with 24 points, quarterbacked the offense, and did a pretty great job of keeping things organized. But DeAsia Gregg came in, controlled things, and she was rebounding in de- you know defensive rebounds. She was stopping rallies. She was commanding the exchanges so that we went back on top. I lost track of the number of exchanges we had between the in the lead exchanges in the play-by-play. I literally was trying to count them in the play-by-play because I couldn't keep track of them in the game because it was on TV. And I lost track of them in the actual written play-by-play. It got so confusing as the lead changes went back and forth. There was very rarely more than four points between the teams. So this game proved that Virginia Tech wasn't just a finesse team. Virginia Tech women's basketball wasn't just a finesse team. They could get in there and muscle it around just like everybody else. And it was really great to see DeAsia Gregg step up and really become a really quality defender in their in their mix. And she knocked away the last inbound pass to keep Carolina from scoring, getting a chance to score anything. And the three points that it, Amor put up on those three foul shots, because they fouled her on the, she drew a foul on a three-point shot. She ended up putting them ahead for the for the last second of the game. So that was that was an exciting basketball game. It really was. People need to watch it. The next game they have coming up is on the schedule for the for the women's team is Virginia. It's on Thursday. Carol and I are going, my wife and I are going, and maybe my daughter too. We'll, we'll see. It looks like Blacksburg's going to try to put on the dog. It's another local, you know, the local show up. And the, so Blacksburg's going to probably show up to see see if we can get the Who's. Everybody wants to see the Who's get beat, right? All right. So we're going to just do this in two segments tonight. So let's just take the commercial break. And then we're going to do our last segment for the night and talk football. So we'll be back after these messages. Hey, folks, thanks for joining us today for this episode of Talking Turkey presented by SB Nation's Gobbler Country. If you haven't already, like and follow us on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter at Gobbler Country and check out the website, gobblercountry.com. Hey, welcome back. For our last segment, we're going to talk about, of course, the big news. The, we, and we didn't really get a chance to talk a lot about it was the, the early National Signing Day, which is kind of a misnomer, really, right, Brian? I mean, it's not really early National Signing Day. It's really National Signing Period starts. And- yeah, February's the, the first day, what, two, first Tuesday, Wednesday, in February, whatever day it was a Tuesday or Wednesday, isn't quite as, it just kind of goes by now and nobody thinks anything about it. You'll hear a few schools flip a big player or sign a big player who holds out, but December is signing day now. It, it's unofficially the signing day, and I like it better because it gives some of these other schools, these bigger name schools, you know, I say bigger name, you know, like I'm saying like Alabama, Ohio State, it gives them when they miss out on a guy in, in a school like Virginia Tech has found an under the radar corner out of Maryland or something, and it gives them a chance to, hey, we didn't get so-and-so, so let's go and 
put the press on this kid that we didn't even want, you know, for the past eight months. But I like that aspect of it. It closes the window a bit for schools like Virginia Tech to sign these guys and, and get them in, enrolled and a lot of them in January. Yeah, a lot of these kids, number one, that would they're ready to graduate from high school anyway. And yeah, it lets you get them matriculate. Uh, you can sign, you can get them practicing early as long as they start for the summer, first summer session. It lets you get them started. What really does is, of course, it's important is if they can get them registered in the school for the for the spring semester is it sets them up on the roster for spring practice. And that's that's really critical if you've got kids that are transfers or if you have kids that are like early graduates from high school where and they're really good and you know they've got a real shot to play or at least make make the depth chart for the first time you'd like to get them into those first early fall making those first early spring practices and get that spring game so that you can see what they can do it's kind of really a benefit so one thing you're right one thing it does is it kind of slams the door in the fish it says you know you you committed to us and you know everybody me i'm one of those people that says no more of the commitment signing day you go to a kid and you say you offer a kid and the kid signs. That's it. It's over. Nobody can talk to them. Or you say no commitments until signing day. We start up signing day and then you have a limited period of time where the kids decide what they're going to do and then they sign. You know, one or the other, you know, this fishing and poking and face it. I mean, they've already accused Notre Dame of tampering with the with the quarterback swap. So that was an eye opener, wasn't it? You kind of scratch your head, going, "Ah, uh, who so who was talking to whom?" This stuff's been going on for years, and now they've kind of legalized it to a degree, and it's it is what it is. You hate it, but you just got to learn to adapt in the atmosphere that we're in. That's all you can do. And I know that you know there were some other schools trying to poach a couple of our guys, and I won't say anything more on that, but. You know, we, we, we did it. We did some work to keep him around. So, you know, it's going to have to, like Brent Price said, it, and I think this is what he was alluding to. You've got to recruit your own roster every week. I mean, if a kid goes out there and has a bad practice and a coach gets on him and, and you know, you got to go recruit him to keep him from leaving. I mean, it's always, you know, he was talking about after, you know, the spring, you know, I got to go recruit my roster again. And, and Pry was saying that he wished there was one period and they would close the window a little bit on the transfer portal. That he likes it, but and I, I completely agreed with him. I think they need to narrow the window a little bit, but you know, it's not it's not going to change anytime well, soon. Remember, so. it wasn't a rule set. People keep forgetting the transfer portal has been. There have been some rules salted around afterward, but the transfer portal was an invention of the court. It was a court. And it was a consent decree to create the thing from the NCAA for a court decision. So that and nil have both been responses to court decisions. So in the in NCAA in itself has not been very good at responding to that. I mean, we're going to have something that we've talked about because Jay and I are not we don't agree on playoffs or whatever as far as what the playoffs are and who should be playing in the playoffs or whatever. It's honest disagreement between good friends, and we're going to end up doing a series of debates, and then you've got your own opinions. So we're going to end up in the future doing a series of debates based on the series of where we think football is going to go, college football is going to go. And part of the problem is how we mentally think about the 
college football competition as a whole? And is it actually practical? You've got now, what is it? Twenty. There's a rumor of 26, between 12 and 26 teams in the FCS that want to form an FBS conference and step up to FBS out of FCS, two of which are actually playing on championship night, which is North Dakota State and South Dakota State. That's How do you like that? Between the two states, there's a population less than, I think, Virginia, and they're playing the, the national championship for the FCS. But the point is, is that we need these discussions and we're not seeing them and we're really not hearing them. There's everybody shuts up, puts their hands over their head, faces, puts their hands over their ears. They just don't want to hear it. They don't want to know that, you know, it's like it'll just blow over and everything will go back to the way it was. And it's not going to, is it? No, we are where we are, you know. So we're going to talk about that in the in an upcoming series. I don't know how long it's going to last, but it'll probably be just like it is tonight, two 15-minute segments. And we'll let Jay and then let me, you know, with you moderating. And then, you know, you're going to have something to say. So we'll me, uh, maybe I'll moderate. You and Jay can talk about what you think should happen or where, where it's going to go. But we'll probably, we've got to design it so it doesn't get all wild and out of control and it actually comes to some sort of place. But I think it's an important discussion to have. And I think maybe we need to be on board with a public set in, set of solutions, maybe. I don't know. I'm always been one of those guys that my dad taught me a long time ago that, you know, if you if you don't offer solutions, you just got complaints. The old fashioned guys didn't want to hear complaints, did they? So, Brian, I'm going to let you go for the last part of this. I had my say for that. But give me your impression on what, you know, you've talked in private about it. Give me your impression about what we have, what our new roster changes are going to be. You know, you get the last five minutes. Well, I think we touched on the kids. We got transferred in, Kyron Drones, Ollie Jennings, Quan Felton, and the, those guys. I think we, we talked about those. Yeah, you know, I think we should focus on the 25 kids we signed for the class of 2023. We could add some more for the, the February period, but I doubt I, if it does, it's only going to be one or two. And I don't necessarily foresee that, but I, I do foresee us maybe signing two or three more players out of the transfer portal in the spring, maybe, or, or here in January. But as of now, the Hokies signed 25 players. And according to 247 Sports, the it was a 37th overall ranking class, 34th in the composite ranking, which to me, the, the composite ranking is the one you want to go on because it, it combines all the different recruiting services into one ranking so a, a solid a 34 you know you'd like to see the Hokies up in the 20s but realistically in today's day and age the, if you can hang around 30 28 to 30 that's pretty good for Virginia Tech the key is to the to develop the players but when I look at the overall class I like some of the offensive linemen we signed I like some of the receivers and defensive backs we signed well, we've stressed this before and I'll stress it again I'm, I'm a little concerned about the defensive tackle position in a few years like if Pollard and Kendricks do come back next year which sounds like they are and and Fugel we will be back next year and a couple of the freshmen that we had last year ready to play I'm, I'm okay this year I think with the depth but you got to start getting these guys in your pipeline and start built you know putting some weight on them getting them some conditioning over for a year or two before you start to see the dividends on the field and and we don't really have a lot in the pipeline which concerns me and you don't see a lot of defensive tackles in the transfer portal you see the ends but because it you know, if there's a good defensive tackle in the transfer portal, he's going to be snapped up by, you know, an Alabama or an Ohio State or some or, or anybody like that. But 
that's my only concern is the de- defensive tackle. I like some of the – I love the, the quarterback that we, we flipped from Nebraska, William Watson. He's a little smallish, but if you watch him, he's he's obviously fast, but he's, he's got a pretty big arm for, for his size. And from we know Tyler Bowen wants to do the RPO stuff, wants to have an athletic guy who can – we, we've already succeeded with a dual-threat quarterback, and Watson fits that mold after, you know, hopefully Kyron Drone starts here for a couple of years, and that's a success. But I like adding competition, getting a few – they signed two quarterbacks in the class, him and Dylan Whitkey out of one of the most powerful programs in Georgia – but I actually see Watson as the better better quarterback prospect, and then you also got Devin Farrell coming back, Bullock, you know Wells and Drones. I think you, I think you're going to see that position thin out in the spring. I wouldn't be surprised if one or two guys either transferred out or switch positions. Even I think you're going to see some movement there because it's a lot of scholarship quarterbacks. Yeah, and, uh, I, I do see the hope that maybe they push a couple of the guys because a couple of those guys could actually make good wide receivers and had been known to have had some wide receiver looks and talent that they put them in at quarterback. You know, you know how it is in high school, you know, that the coaches are going to stick you in where they think they can use you if you're a really good athlete and a really good athlete's going to end up, you know, the best athlete on the team usually ends up being the quarterback for no apparent reason other than he's the best athlete on the team. So we'll see. I don't know how many of those guys are going to want to slide out into the slot. (laughs) Per se, or out on the end. I well, that's not nec- but they're not necessarily going to be wide receivers. A couple of them can be a tight end. A couple of them, you know, be in the secondary. Bullock's one. Bullock's the interesting one because he's got the size to, to do more than just play wide receiver. But well, you know, we'll see. He hasn't found a home yet at quarterback here, and it doesn't sound like. Um, he's in the mix really to be the starter this upcoming season. So we'll kind of see how that one goes. But I like some of the, the secondary, you know, kids in the secondary. We signed Dante Lovett, Cameron Fleming, Braylon Johnson, Caleb Woodson. A lot of really talented kids coming in. And, you know, Woodson's a guy I see end up at, ending up at linebacker, you know. and But Lovett and Fleming at corner, I really like some of the – if these kids pan out like we think they're going to pan out. And you add some of the guys we got last year, obviously Delane is the is the big name. The, the future's pretty bright for us to get in, to get DBU back on track now. So I like some of the offensive linemen, like I said earlier, that, that Joe Rudolph signed. He signed four. Gannon out of West Virginia is, is the big is the big prospect. He had some people coming to try to flip him late, and he stuck with the Hokies. So really, really excited to see this group. And hopefully the big thing for this year is the, what we want to see in spring ball. We want to see Kyron Drones. This isn't a reflection on Grant Wells trying to put down Grant Wells or anything. We want to see Kyron Drones come in and take that job and run with it because that, that bodes well for what happens for us on the field in 2023. Yep. I agree with you 100% on that one. That was, you know, I can't wait to sit in the stands and see how he plays. Well, that's it for this show. The next one next week when we sit down to record, we'll have a little bit more information. The girls will have played basketball. We'll have We'll have results for the Virginia game and the Sunday results for the Miami game. They're traveling to Coral Gables to Miami. And what's the men's schedule look like? Clemson and North Carolina State, Wednesday and Saturday, both at home. Oh, good. So, all right. We got something to talk about on Monday then. We will happily be back with you next week to talk about those results. And like I said, we're going to start staging up and start working out this kind of debate kind of thing that we're going to do. And we're going to talk about differing opinions on how college football playoffs and college football proceeds in general. So as always, go Hokies. Go Hokies. Go Hokies.